Thanks for tuning in on our Canyon Hills San Luis Obispo podcast. Wherever you're tuning in from, we pray you're encouraged by the message. There is no way that I could take this portion of scripture and tear it out. Now, if I wanted to be really theatrical and dramatic, I would do that. But I have such a hard time ripping a page out of the Bible that I'm just not going to do it. I couldn't even go down to the dollar store and get one of the dollar Bibles and rip it out. Just can't do it. But here's the thing. With today's topic, I can't do it. And because we're in chapter 4, the Apostle Paul speaks on a subject that we've got to be aware of. All of us, no matter where we are in our journey of faith, okay? So I want to say this right up. I, I'm not timid in sharing what I'm going to share today. I want everyone to hear that. I'm not timid about it. I just want to be very mindful. And I want you to know that it comes from a place of concern, a place of radical love for you, the same way that the Apostle Paul had radical love for them when he was saying it, okay? So why did I have you stand so that I could do this very important moment right here and then just have you sit back down? Go ahead. Go ahead. Sit back down. Omar, thank you, friend. See, some of you guys, you didn't see that coming. You're like, he's going he's gonna to do the scripture, and then he's going to do the prayer thing, and then you're all going to give a high five. Matter of fact, go ahead and give your neighbor a high five real quick so there's a little bit of normalcy, okay? All right, so we've got four questions, four questions that we, um, that we ask every single week. The four questions are, what are we talking about? Why should it matter to us? What do we need to know about it? And what do we need to do about it? At some point... It is my goal and my prayer that you will have that memorized with me so that when I say it, you say it. And here's the great part about it, because it puts us all in the same place where you know exactly where I'm going. What are we talking about? Why should it matter? What do we need to know about it? And what do we need to do about it? Okay, that's what we're going to talk. So here's the thing. What we're talking about today is we are talking about a word called holiness. Would you look at your neighbor real quick and say, Holiness. Another word that you're going to see is the word, the word sanctification. So today we're talking about holiness and we're talking about sanctification. Now the question is, is why should that matter to us as believers? Because the Apostle Paul brings it up here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But we have to define why this should matter to us so much. And to do so, I think it's always important that we actually go to what the Bible says because the Bible has an answer for absolutely everything. Would you agree? Okay, good. So what does the Bible say about sanctification and holiness? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. We're going to read it up on the screen together. This is what it says. It says, Therefore, with minds that are alert, and fully sober, set your heart on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Spoiler alert. Next week, we'll be, we will be talking about his coming, his second coming, end times, prophecy. Don't want to miss next week. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, meaning that when you were before Christ, don't live that way. Don't live in sin. Don't live in ignorance. But just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. So you might read that and go, great. You're saying we're talking on holiness and sanctification. 
You said that the Bible would give us the answer, which it did in part. It said, don't live like you did in your old ways, but there's got to be a little bit more to it because it didn't quite define it all the way, did it? You guys hear me joke around this all the time, right? Like when you find a word that you need an answer to, you go to the dictionary and it gives you an answer that really doesn't answer it. You ever been there before? You're like, what do I do with this, right? We search deeper into the scripture. So if we go down further, we see that scripture is very clear on holiness. But here's the challenge that, that lies for us today because this was written thousands of years ago. Remember this. This is written thousands of years ago. But it's funny, today we find ourselves in the same place, if not worse. When it comes to holiness, when it comes to sanctification, the problem is the lines have been very blurred. Because one would say, what is holy to me, the other one say, it's not holy to me. Where one would say, no, I think that's okay, another one would say, no, 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 that's not okay. The lines of holiness and sanctification, they've been blurred. In some cases, they've been crossed. And in many cases, they've actually been erased. Because people will say, that's an old book. That's a book written thousands of years ago. It's not, it's not fitting for us today. Which is proof again that holiness and sanctification is a blurred topic. So the reason this message should matter to us, the reason it matters to me, is because, it, is because really God says here in 1 Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that God is calling you and I to a place of holiness. In other words, it's a to-do. Now, my, 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 my forgiveness of sin is not based on what I do other than confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and aligning my life to that. My salvation, your salvation, is predicated upon what Jesus did on the cross. Let's get that very clear. We are not working our way to heaven, although there are things we must do. For Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commands. So my forgiveness from God is because of what Jesus did. My love for God is based upon aligning my life to the things that God says. But his love for me never changes. And his love for you never changes. See, I don't care what, listen, I say this, I don't care what you did this week, although there is some care because I don't want you to be in sin or in danger. I don't care how far you think you've gone. You will never outrun the love that God has for you. You never will. Now, you might convince yourself that God must be upset with me and God must be mad with me and you don't know what I've done, Pastor, and you don't know what I've said and you don't even know what I'm thinking about doing. You're right, I don't, he does. And if he got face to face with you, he would say, still love you. I'm for you. There's better for you, but I still love you. But don't, don't miss this. There is a God who is saying, be holy. You can never get away from that. That's why the grace message, although we do believe in grace, but what I call the sloppy grace theology that says live the life the way that you want to, in the end, just ask God to forgive you. The Apostle Paul said, do I sin that grace would abound? No. If I want to live a holy life, not a perfect life, but a holy life, separated, pleasing to God, then here's the reality. I and you have work to do. We, we can't just exist in this deal. We, we've got to work on it. So God has called us to holiness and to sanctification and to a life that is set apart for his purposes. 
Friends, if you don't hear anything else I say, which they tell you not to say that in messages because you didn't, you completely devalue everything else you're saying, but I'm going to say it. Rule breaker. If you don't hear anything else that I, hear, that I say today, please get this. The reason that God calls you to holiness is because when you actively become a person who wants to be holy, you find yourself closer to God. And God actually wants something to do with you. I see, I think, I think the, the revelation that I get from this is the reason that God's calling me to holiness is because he actually wants something to do with Rich Shepherd. And sometimes that's a little bit beyond my realm of understanding because guess who knows Rich Shepherd better than anybody else? Rich Shepherd. It's really weird to say my name like that. I know me just like you know you. And the reason God would call you to holiness is because he wants to be with you and because he loves you. So we need to understand, and the reason it should matter to us is because God wants us to be closer with him. Now, what do we need to know about holiness and about sanctification? That's where we get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which was our reading this week. In verse 3, he says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So let's break that word down. Number one, point number one today, it's not a sentence, it's one word, it's sanctification. Because when that word is said, there is confusion that comes up. So let's talk about it a little bit here. Sanctification simply means this. It means to be holy unto the Lord. And as we talked about, there's, there's different sides of the fence on this one, even in the Christian circle, okay? So I want to give you a definition of what I believe sanctification or holiness to mean that I think would be pretty simple. Does anybody in here, show of hands, love simple? Anybody love simple? Okay, good. If you're not raising your hand, I'm praying over you, okay? Simple is good. Remember that simple button? Remember? Okay, so here it is. Write this down. Holiness is about living your life to please God rather than living your life to please self. That's what holiness is. Holiness is saying, I want to please my Father in heaven more than I want to please myself, more than I care about me. Now, the idea, this idea, what does it do? It flies in the face of the overriding message of our culture, which says this, live the life that makes you happy. That's what culture says. Culture would say, if you could get to the end of your life and say, I lived a life that made me happy, then I lived a life. But listen to me. When a person gives their life to Jesus and experiences true salvation and begins looking into the word of God, here's what they discover. They discover that the main goal for any believer, you and I, the main goal is to live a life that's pleasing to him. I wanna do what God wants me to do. It's a completely different way of living. And here's the reality, when you get this, when you get that your life is not about making yourself happy, but your life is about being pleasing to God, what you'll find is true joy. Joy is different than happiness. See, I could have joy in the midst of unhappy problems. Some of us don't believe that because we're negative Nancys. And if your name is Nancy, I so apologize. 
That's what we believe. No, no. God wants to give you joy. Joy is different than happiness is predicated upon my circumstances going the way that I want them to go. That's living a life that's pleasing to self. This might seem hard. This might seem rude. You need to live a life that makes him happy, meaning that when things are falling apart, your trust is still in him. You still love him. You're not saying, why God? Although, it's okay to sometimes question God. (gasps) It's all throughout the Bible. From a guy who was after God's own heart, a guy by the name of David. Why, 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 why? David is like the ultimate three-year-old. Why? Because why? Why, 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 why? Answer, why? But listen to me. God is more concerned about your joy. Because sometimes, let's just be straight, we get what we want to find out it's not what we really wanted. Didn't make us happy, did it? Left us empty. That's because what you want and what you need is not found in what you can get. It's found in who he is and what he has for you. So when you live a life that's pleasing unto God, it's a completely different experience. And when you get this, what begins to happen is you begin to live your life differently. See, the way that you do your marriage, that you do your family, the way that you raise your children, that you do business, that you talk to people, that you listen to people. Is that difficult for anybody else? The way that you listen, the way that you care about those around you who are hurting. When you live a life that is pleasing to God, it changes all of this stuff. And you realize you're whole and you're complete. See, everything is different. Are you getting the point? Everything is different when you live in sanctification. What is that? It's a life that's pleasing to God, that's holy to God, that is separate unto God. So Paul, he begins this chapter with these words. Let's go back to to, to verse 1. I gave you verse 3. Look at verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound, watch here, more and more. That's a good line right there. Just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Sanctification, holiness, and how you live so that it's pleasing unto God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now keep in mind, Paul had only been with this church, theologians believe, anywhere from three to six weeks. But in those three to six weeks, he lived his life in such a way that he exemplified what it meant to abound in love towards everyone. What it meant to live peacefully with everyone. I know I've said it every week, but I can't help it, it's coming. How to live life with everyone at the Thanksgiving table. It's coming up. Huh, gotta come on back there. Now, it doesn't go without notice that when Paul is talking about living to please God, and this is the part that I told you, this is the part, guys, I'm telling you, this is the part that we can't rip out. Last week, I made this statement to you. The themes of last week, if you remember, was friendship and it was trials. When we we walked through chapter three, those were the two big main themes, okay? This is why I love breaking down the Bible. We can walk through this week by week. Last week, I said to you that when we got to the part of trials in chapter three, it wasn't speaking about the trials and the temptations that you and I face. You guys remember that? It was talking about the trials that you experience as a believer who puts their faith in a God. In other words, the church of Thessalonica was facing trials 
because of their pursuit of Jesus and the gospel and spreading the gospel. I say that to say what I'm getting ready to say here right now. When we look at chapter 4, it's going to get really hot in here, by the way, just letting you know. I'm not talking about the chili that's out there that I can smell right now. It's no mistake that when Paul talks about holiness and sanctification, that he ties it to one thing in chapter 4. I'm going to let this sit for a moment. Remember I told you, I'm not timid about speaking on this. But it's very prevalent in our culture today. Just as much, if not more so, than it was back then. And keep in mind, Paul is not speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to a church. Which, by the way, if you remember, this church was doing it right. Yet he still had to bring up this issue right here. When Paul was talking about sanctification and holiness, he tied it to one thing, and that was sexual immorality. Oh, boy. Okay? So, it's within that theme that you should write this down, point number two, that you and I should abstain from sexual immorality. Now, remember, Paul's being specific here. The Apostle Paul is being very specific. He's saying, live a life that is holy that is sanctified, set apart for God, and this is how you do it. You do it by abstaining from sexual immorality. Meaning, we've got a problem for the Thessalonians and Thessalonica. I just want to keep saying it because I keep getting it right. And Paul's going, hey, 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 warning, warning, it's coming. I need you to know about it. So Paul, through these 12 verses, man, he just starts to break this thing down. Now let's talk about it, right? These words, sexual morality, used often in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, but it stems from the Greek word porinia, which we know where that comes from. It's the original meaning of the Greek word, which means to prostitute or to sell. So when Paul is writing this to this group of people, He's writing it because the issue of that day was prostitution and the selling of it. Okay? Newsflash, y'all. There were no smartphone devices for pornography. There were no pictures. There were no magazines. There was no laptops. None of that existed. Pornea in that day was, if you wanted to live in sexual immorality, you would then go and find an actual prostitute. Or you would be a person who would sell prostitutes. So Paul here is going, hey, you guys are surrounded by a culture, and it's dark, and it's deep, and you need to be careful. So he bops this whole thing out. Now, however, by the time of the New Testament... It had a very broad meeting that included all sexual immorality. We're going to get to that in just a moment. Again, remember, can't rip this part out. So, it's where we get the word pornography or pornographic. So, it is essentially general, a term to describe all sexual activity that is contrary to the will of God as expressed in His Word. And I'm here to tell you, if you've ever struggled with sexual morality in any form. 
whether that's your eyes, your mind, or physical action, or whatever the case may be, you will know that it is a very, very difficult temptation. I know I should experience a lot of quietness in the room, and I'm okay. I'm not saying you have to go crazy amen on this one, okay? But don't tune me out. Don't tune me out. God's word has so, listen, God's word has so much to say about this area. But let me just say this very carefully. I know there's some youngins in the room, but not too young. God created sex. Aren't you thankful? I knew I could always, I could always count on one man to go, Amen. It's never a woman, ever in that situation. It just never is. It never is. It's like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to let it out. I have in my notes pause after making that statement just for that moment right there. God created it. It's beautiful. It's ordained of him. However, it has a context. It has borders. And in other words, it has guardrails. And the thing is, is so many times, especially in the culture that we live in, it's outdated. No, that's surely not what God was saying. It is so clear what God is saying. The problem is, is most people just don't want to read this thing to see what it's saying. It's clear. I don't think I have to. Like, here's the deal. Even if you weren't raised in church, I don't think I have to say this and convince anybody. Everyone would agree. There's a right and there's a wrong. So here's the deal. God gives us these guidelines in his word that sexual activity was to take place in the context of marriage between one man and one woman. And I, just like I said last week, I will be very clear. One man and one woman. You can't tear that part out either. Now I told you it's going to get tense in here, okay? God put these parameters in place because he's God and he knows better and we are not God and many times we do not know better whenever this takes place outside of these parameters sexual morality that's when it's referred to as pornea which is outside of God's created order now mark this with me when you think about God's created order it's helpful to think of it this way it's that which functions best. God's order, by definition, is that which functions best. It's that which honors the purpose for which it was created. It's that which brings blessing rather than destruction. Let me give it to you in a way that maybe I can understand and you can think about this. Most of us drive a car. Most of us. You put the right gas in the tank. You, you put the right oil in the crankcase. You put the coolant in the radiator. You put the transmission fluid in the transmission. I know we're in California, so I'll go ahead and say it. You plug it up the right way so it gets electricity, except for the days where you have to turn it off because we're in an overload. But if you go and have your car serviced and the attendant clearly or carelessly puts the wrong thing in the wrong place, guess what's going to happen? It's not going to work. It's going to break down. In the same way, God has an order for human sexuality. 
That order works for individuals. It works for parenting. It works for strong societies. The order brings a blessing because God created us and he established that order. And I don't have to tell you that there is a massive demonic I'm I'm listen, demonic effort going on to normalize every imaginable deviant sexual lifestyle in our culture. I won't say the name of the person, but we have a person in our church that is not doing a job that they are highly qualified to do and have been doing for a very long time because of the forceful nature of the school system that says you need to teach this. And we just think it's a matter of politics. No, no, no. It's a spiritual matter. It's a demonic matter. And the problem is, it's not just in our world. It's in public schools. It's on the shows that we watch. It's in the cartoons that our kids watch. It's on their electrical devices. Oh, pastor, that's just old school. It's not old school. It's an attack of the enemy on every generation in our world. And here's what happens. You ready for this? And if you speak up about it, guess what? Your words are considered hate speech. A pastor can get up on a stage and say that we stand for marriage between one man and one woman. You're a hater. It's hate speech. College student, can I just tell you, one of the number one agendas of your university or quest to college down the road, if you have faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, and you believe this book word for word, I'm here to tell you right now, they are coming after this, and they're going to try to do it through you. You mark my words. It's already happening. I don't need to prove that. See, here's the problem. It comes across as hate speech. So the question is, is how can that be? I want you to mark this down. Because truth sounds like hate to those who hate truth. And all it takes, I did it on purpose, and all it takes is for a person to say those words with an elevated voice, and you can see the tension. I'm not trying to play games, but did you feel that? That's what this world wants to do. They just want to take that volume and they want to take their agenda that is contrary and they just want to turn it up. And the minute it gets turned up, you're the Christian person who hates. I don't hate. I love deeply. And I love so deeply that I'm willing to put myself out there. And we as believers must be willing to put ourselves out there Because life, and like we said in week number one of this series, because eternity is real. I want to make something very clear this morning. The Apostle Paul was not cursing the darkness of that day. He was writing with great love and hope to a church so that the church would live in such a way as to give witness to the beauty and the goodness of of God's ways. That's what the Apostle Paul was doing. I said this earlier, but it's so true. Remember, who's he writing to? He's not writing to sinners, guys. He's writing to the church. He was saying, live in such a way that your life gives witness to the ways of God. 
That's the whole point. That we would have influence in the lives of people because they can look at us and see our genuine love for God and for his word. The most powerful thing that we can do to give witness to God's better way is to not just curse the darkness of our world. It's like you see those, those people that stand up at big old rallies and big old get-togethers with the sign, you know, Jesus loves you. Then the backside is something very hateful, right? Like you're going to hell if you, and they look like they just got back, but they're standing there with the sign. You know what they're doing? They're cursing the darkness. They're not loving. Oh, but if I love you, I'll tell you the truth. In love. What I'm trying to say is, is listen, again, I'll, I'll refer it again. Can't rip it out. I can't rip this page out. God's calling all of us to a place of sanctification and holiness. And listen to me, right now, if you're in this place and you're addicted to pornography, there's forgiveness for you. God can set you free. Listen, if you're here today and you're living with someone and you're not married, get married. I'm licensed and ordained. I will walk up to my office as soon as this service is done and I will marry you. I will bring a person into the room for a witness. We will do it the legal way and I will marry you. I'm serious. I've done it. We've brought people to the backyard at our house. I would rather do that than you live in sin. Is, is that what it is? It's what it is. But don't beat yourself up. If God's nudging you, if that's you, addicted to pornography, living with someone you're not married to, sexually active, God will forgive you if you ask him. His word's true, right? Is his word true or is it not? He'll forgive you. However, you still need to do something. And I can help. If you're addicted to pornography, sin grows best in the dark. You need to bring it into the light. Oh, pastor. Mm -hmm. You do. Doesn't mean you have to do it right now, by the way. <laughs> because let's just be honest. Most Christians don't know how to handle someone's honesty when it comes to that, do they? Oh, I thought you... Well, don't, don't let me find your dark stuff that no one else knows about. Sin is sin. But different sin has different consequence. Bigger ramifications. So let me just set the record straight here. This is a place of grace and truth. Jesus, to the woman that had been married multiple times and was shacking up with another guy, still spoke the truth to her. In love. He said, don't do this anymore. I love you, don't do. Grace and truth. It's, you know how we could reach our world? Grace and truth. Jesus did it, worked pretty good. <laughs> He's Jesus. We're called to be like Jesus. A am I making sense? It's within those guidelines that God has established. It's to raise our children who know and love the truth. 
It's to have strong marriages that glorify God. It's to live our lives for the purposes of God. That's why we avoid sexual immorality. And at the end of our service, we're going to give you guys an opportunity just between you and God. Because I wouldn't dare want to embarrass anyone. That's not my heart in any way, shape, or form. Where if you are struggling in that area, then at the end of our time together, when we go into one more worship song, I'm going to let you, and I'll let you, you can have. It's like I'm giving you guys permission to pray. We're just going to give you guys an opportunity to have a moment with God. And if you need to confess that sin and start to live a different way, you can even do it right now in, my, in your head. God, forgive me. He'll forgive you. Number three, let's close this. Oh, it got crazy in here. Some of you thought you had spicy chili. We call this a spicy sermon. Just made that up on the fly. Can't take it back. Number three, clarity for your pursuit of holiness. This is what we see in 1 Thessalonians 4. Clarity for your pursuit of holiness. Let's bring some clarity to it. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Meaning you can't work your way into God's favor. You already have it. Because of what Jesus did. It's not by works. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Meaning, we read God's word and God's word shows us right from wrong. We're conscious of it. Now we're accountable to it. I remember when I first got saved, I didn't really know that cussing was wrong. Anybody else have this happen to? Right? Got saved. And then one day I'm reading the scriptures and I get into Corinthians and it says to put away filthy language. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been saved for like a year and still... Yeah, that. Still. Or I'd be reading another passage of Scripture. And it would point something out that I was doing that I didn't know. Guess what happens at that moment? You're now accountable. That's why the Holy Spirit leads you and guides you into all truth. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. So when you get saved, it's like, man, when I get saved, I got to stop doing this. You've been doing it for decades. It's not going to happen overnight. But the Holy Spirit will lead you. I got a buddy, he's in the room right now, I won't call him out. Well, maybe I have a few buddies in the room, but I won't call them out. And we'll be like, you know, hanging out, working out together. We'll be on the golf course and a word will slip. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry. Hey, I noticed you've gotten a lot better. God's working on them. And I think sometimes they were like so surprised by my response. I'm like, it's going to take some time. Come on, it's being practical, right? You guys know me, pastor practical, practical pastor, whatever. All these words that rhyme together, right? It's like we think that, oh my goodness, this is just going to happen right away. Take some time, right? So don't beat yourself up too bad. And the rest of you don't look all weird at them when they do that. They're working on it. Sanctification is an ongoing deal. All right, I got to close this up because I'm going to start talking about a whole bunch of different stuff. So we're declared righteous in God's sight, not by the works of the law, but rather through the law, we become conscious. So when God calls you and I to be holy, when he calls you to walk in his ways, when we see his clear commands in scripture, our heart response should be this. Lord, without you, it's impossible. Can't do it. But with you, oh, that's, that's a whole other thing. Let me, let, me, let me skirt back a little bit. Let me rewind. I can't do the effects noise. But if you're struggling with pornography on your own, you'll never kick it. Listen, if you've got an addiction in your life that is drugs or alcohol, whatever, in your own strength, you don't stand a chance. You just won't. But Christ in you, oh man, that's a whole nother ball game. 
If I got Christ in me, Christ, the one who raised the dead, who did miracles, who defeated death, hell, and the grave, that power, according to this Bible, says it lives inside of you. So why would you let your mind think that you don't have this if God's on your side? He's in you. He's with you. He's for you. Which means there's nothing that comes your way that is contrary to God's word that you can't walk away from. The question you have to ask yourself is, am I allowing God to work through me? Lord, without you, I can't do this. But with you, I can. Write this down. True biblical holiness begins and ends with Jesus. Matter of fact, we're actually thinking about it this year, going into 2023 of a sermon series that will last the whole year. And it literally just means this. I texted it to a buddy of mine. Start with Jesus. Might word it something different. But Jesus has something to say about everything. Ephesians 2.20. Now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. I think we, you know what? Stand up on your feet. Let's do this. Come on, stand up on your feet. We're going to read this passage together. Come on, some of you men, you need to declare God's word in this moment right now. Listen, this is not a moment where I want you to whisper. I think this scripture right here, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, they're going to put it up on the screen. I think we need to read this together and not just read it together, but actually believe that it really works. Say this with me. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Come on, one more time like you mean it. Now to him, come on. His power that is at work within us. His power. Go to the next one. Let's try this. You guys are great readers, by the way. I am the vine. Come on. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. As Omar comes one more time. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit apart from me. You can do nothing. Apart from God, you can do nothing. So could you imagine a life that you built on your own power, on your own strength? MJ, can you do me a favor and put that scripture back up real quick? Can you imagine the life doing all of that apart from God because without God it adds up to nothing notice he says that that I am the vine you're the branch who's the most important part right there the vine or the branch the vine everything stems from the vine if God, listen guys, if God's not in this thing, what are we doing? What hope do we have? I'll tell you, we have no hope. It's meaningless. What, what, what did Solomon say, by the way, at the end of his life? What did Solomon say? 
He said this, vanity. Solomon, the richest man to ever walk the face of the planet, the wisest to ever, he got everything he wanted and then some. And you know what he equated it to? Vanity, meaning worthless. Because anything apart from God is worthless. Worship team, you can make your way. It's worthless. Let me take you down to the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And then we worship. And then we go eat. And we vote. And we take Perry Speth off of the trophy for the first time in like three years. I think you just found your competition right there. Look at these words. This is, this is amazing. Verse 11. The Apostle Paul would say that you also aspire to lead a quiet life. To mind your own business. Uh-oh. And to work with your hands as we commanded you that you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may be lacking nothing. I think this is one of the greatest scriptures we could ever use when it refers to social media. Let me say it again. Aspire to lead a quiet life. To mind your own business. I'm just going to leave that there. You can wrestle with that one. That you would work with your hands. What's, what's the Apostle Paul saying? If you take all of that and you just bring it to a point, what's he saying? I, I think what the Apostle Paul is saying by leading quiet lives, minding your own business, working with your hands, and the rest of that scripture on being an example to others, I think what he's saying is live a holy and sanctified life so that when you do that, the end of that verse, you may lack nothing. Jesus, Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light. Everyone say light. And it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What's Jesus saying? Live a holy and sanctified life. Am I making sense in the midst of a lot of... I told myself on my notes with this subject today, keep your energy level up, Rich. Listen, because I want you to live holy lives. I, I want to live a holy life separated unto God. Why? So I'm pursuing God. That's why. The, the moment I stop pursuing holiness is the minute I have stopped pursuing God. It is what it is as YouTube would say.
It is what it is. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? I have a question. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to connect with us, text CONNECT to 805-321-1357 or visit us at slow.canyonhills.com. Until next time, have a great day and be encouraged that God is with you and for you.